So I want to talk for a little bit about Robert Townsend's 1987 film, Hollywood Shuffle. It might seem strange at first to start a series of reflections on Spike Lee's cinema by talking about Robert Townsend's film, but I think it's important in part because of how Hollywood Shuffle frames the very problems that Spike Lee's cinema for decades has tried to address, but also because having been released in 1987, just a year before School Days, Spike Lee's first uh, major film was released, it also initiates a critical discussion and I think a heightened critical awareness of what black cinema has been, what black characters have been in American Hollywood cinema, and what new possibilities there may be or may not be and therefore need to become in the work of Townsend, in the work of for my concerns here, Lee. So it really is for me a pivot point in thinking about black characters, black stories, and black directing in uh, African-American or American cinema more broadly. If you've seen the film, uh, this is just stating the most obvious and basic facts about Hollywood Shuffle, which is it's a very low budget film. And so it, the editing and the acting and the sound have a kind of unevenness to them. For me, that's part of the charm. But when I teach it, sometimes it distracts uh, the students a bit, uh, expecting as, as they do a higher sense of uh, production values. I think that's really important, however, as a theme. That is that Townsend had essentially self-funded this on credit and um, hoped to make back his money and see what it could lead to. But the sort of story behind the funding of the film and its independent nature and its charm or lack of charm, however one uh, assesses that, I think is, is a sort of side story. It's interesting, but I don't, I don't want to get too far into. I just think that it's important to note that Hollywood Shuffle is a moment in which a series of black actors actually get major roles in what becomes a fairly significant film in its moment and certainly in the history of, of the last part of the 20th century, uh, the history of African-American cinema. They really get their start there and you see them in other television and, and movie roles after. And so I think there's, it's not unimportant that these actors appear in a film that gets somewhat wide release and has some very deep roots. Of course, uh, Damon Wayans and Keenan Ivory Wayans are, are probably the most uh, famous actors to show up in this film. The premise is really simple. It has an overarching story about Bobby Taylor played by Robert Townsend. And Taylor is an actor trying to find his way in Hollywood. And so he auditions for roles and all of the roles he's auditioning for are deeply demeaning to him as a black person. And so the film explores that and how Bobby Taylor has to negotiate that tense relationship, if not impossible relationship between opportunity that is, he gets to do what he really loves, to be an actor, to be in films. It's not simply a money-making scheme for him. It's a life passion, and Townsend makes sure that we know that. But how does he negotiate that? Or how does he think that in relation to the fact that all that's possible for him is self-degradation and the degradation of African Americans on the big screen? So that sense of... 
of black actors having a passion and a purpose in life, right? And I think it's really important that Hollywood Shuffle is making sure that we know that black acting is not just simply a case of, of career. It is a, a matter of existential passion, right? That performance matters. That being a part of this kind of art form is deeply important to Bobby Taylor and to everyone else in the film. But that those that sense of purpose and passion is undercut and wounded deeply by the limited forms of representation. So that's the over arc, uh, the 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 arc of the film in terms of Bobby Taylor the character, and that story is actually quite short if you measure out the minutes in the film, because that story is interspersed with a series of short, of small stories or vignettes. Right, which partake of you know film noir and black exploitation genre, just straight political commentary on the, the uh, figure of the slave in in American cinema, also a, a, a satirical sort of rendition of Siskel and Ebert's um, you know uh, uh, film review uh, series on PBS. And across all of those, it's interesting because what Townsend does is propose for us as viewers, I think, a real dilemma. How can he make a political commentary about black representation at two levels? One is the story of Bobby Taylor, and that's fairly straightforward. It's very didactic. It's he just wants a role. He just wants to get a start and he hopes he makes it. But then there's Bobby Taylor who's struck with real attacks of conscience, largely generated by his little brother and his grandmother, both of whom uh, are vulnerable to this in different ways. The grandmother as really the conscience of the film who disapproves of his roles and asks him, asks him questions that he's not comfortable uh, responding to and actually urges him to just take up another kind of profession if the only possibility is degradation of self and the race. And then his little brother, who he sees as as someone to mentor, right? Someone as any sibling with a, with a good conscience, and that's not all siblings, but with a good conscience wants to do, which is to be a model, to forge a path and say, you can follow in this path and find your own way and be a good and dignified person. And he's struck with that, uh, that those two forms of conscience across the film, and it resolves itself in the end by him walking away from a very degrading role as a gang member and a pimp and drug dealer. But these vignettes are a different kind of challenge, and it's less didactic. Those vignettes employ the very stereotypes that Bobby Taylor is being forced into. The pimp, the drug dealer, right, um, but also the slave. And in doing so in these vignettes, and they're very funny, and I think actually I want to put funny in quotation marks, right, because why are they funny and to whom are they funny and what's at stake in that humor is really the critical question. But he stages those very stereotypes in order to undercut them. That's a familiar strategy, right? That you embody the stereotype in order to undercut it. The craft of doing that is very 
uh, risky, right? Crafting those kinds of representation is very risky. It's risky because if, for example, in the case of, of him um, doing a horror genre, a sort of zombie horror, but the zombies are pimps and they chase prostitutes, right? You can say something about that's a commentary on sexual exploitation or something like that. I don't actually think that's what the film is doing in that moment. But rather what he's doing is playing up these black exploitation stereotypes and dramas, infusing it with the sort of absurdity of a zombie horror story. And he's doing that to get us to laugh about this stereotype. He also does it uh, in this uh, film noir, uh, you know, where there's a lot of uh, vignette, where there's a, a lot of jokes about black hair, jerry curls, um, also black masculinity and, and sexual preference humor, which is itself, I think, quite problematic. It's unclear how much Robert Townsend is critical of that, but its representation is really making fun of the politics of black hair. Obviously, when he depicts these uh, uh, stereotypes of enslaved people, whether it's the, the butler who's sort of addled and wants to serve, you know, the plantation owner or the rebellious slave, the man figure of Mandingo, the sort of white mistress who has a sexual addiction to black masculine sexual presence and different kinds of black women from the plantation, all playing into stereotypes, all over the top, all absurd. But what does it mean to laugh at these these genre pieces, these vignettes that employ such terrifying stereotypes at one level, but do it to comedic effect. And when I teach this film, I ask the students really explicitly, like, what does it mean for you to laugh at this? Who is laughing and why? And how do you feel about explaining your laughter? And I ask them that they rarely offer up uh, their own reflections on it. I think it makes everybody very nervous, and it should. And I think that's part of what Townsend is doing. He is saying, essentially, if we can then pose the question of audience, that this is humor that is going to resonate differently in such important ways for black audiences than for white audiences. That for black audiences, the black gays may see these embodiment of stereotypes in one way where there's a kind of assumed critical distance so that one can laugh, so that one can see this humor and this absurdity and laugh to keep from crying. And that as a trope from you know, the 20s and 30s blues tradition, right? And as a figure really of African-American humor more broadly, that Townsend, I think, really masterfully, masterfully um, enacts in Hollywood Shuffle. I really love that part of the film. But he's also drawing in the white gaze. He understands that this is going to have an interracial audience. And I think the white gaze in relation to these, it's much more precarious and problematic and um, frankly uh, anarchical. And so when we talk about this in class and when I think about this, it raises for me these really critical questions about humor and the infection of genre with black stereotypes. Right, that horror film with zombie pimps, right? Film noir with jokes about black hair. And so how then do we negotiate that relationship? And I think what Townsend is opening up there is that one of the challenges for black filmmaking is understanding the multiple gazes present in 
in the theater, right? Present in relation to the screen that one cannot craft easily what this would mean. One has to really negotiate and really make choices and take risks and say, this may be deeply problematic when viewed by white viewers, but for black viewers, it's gonna be fucking hilarious. And we are gonna be able to laugh at how white people have been able to degrade us and in some ways undercut it. But that in no way is the theme of the film. It in no way says, let's embrace these stereotypes, really. What it says is these stereotypes that are so deeply degrading can be controlled in a, in a, in a way for humor, assuming the black gaze, and crafted as such. But in the end, this is a really tragic choice to have somebody whose life passion is to act, to be a performer, to be in this art form of filmmaking. And when you're in this art form of filmmaking, at best you can embody the stereotypes for laughter. And the laughter being only really for the black viewer. And the white viewer's engagement with the humor is just precarious. And I, I'm going to leave it at precarious because I don't think that it's worth trying to resolve that. It's, it's, it's anarchical, right? That it's all over the place. And for that reason, very, very dangerous. The resolution in the film itself, in terms of Bobby Taylor's arc, is for him to withdraw from his life's passion. There's something deeply sad about Hollywood Shuffle. If we understand Bobby Taylor, not to just be somebody who wants to be famous and make money, but instead Bobby Taylor as someone who wants to do artwork as an actor. He can't do that artwork. One of the ways I think this really comes out is that he he loves and then gets to meet the actor who plays Batty Boy, which is a, really like a minstrel character in a sitcom. And it's played to great humor and, you know, it's supposed to be funny to watch, but there's something deeply sad when Bobby meets the actor and he realizes that this is a dead end, right? That in the end, this person's dignity can only be his fame and his power, therefore, as a famous person over other black people. And there's a really important scene where, where the actor comes to the fast food place where Bobby and his friends work and treats them with real disrespect. And for me, that's really the, one of, the, one of the, the cornerstones of the film's resolution. Batty Boy is not the path. Batty Boy is the problem. Because that means that embodying these stereotypes making money off them the only way you save your dignity is to lord that power and that fame over common black people and that's part of what causes bobby to withdraw from acting right he gives up acting in the end he quits mid-scene uh, as he's playing a gang member and having to embody a vernacular that is constructed as a stereotype of black speech by white writers he's told to be more black and he's just a black person who doesn't talk like that. And he's a black person who understands nobody talks like that and refuses. But somebody else takes his place. That's a really complicated part. But his withdrawal from cinema, right, leads to the final scene where he finally follows his grandmother's advice, which is you can always get work at the post office. And when you get work at the post office, that's dignified work. 
And so the film, for me, resolves itself in a moment of withdrawal and an affirmation of working-class black life as dignified. I don't want to say respectable because I just think like the question of respectability is way too fraught and really an, an inaccurate representation of what Townsend's up to in this. But he does in that moment say no more of this cinema, no more white supremacist cinema, no more cinema where only opportunity, the only opportunity for black actors is self-degradation and degradation of the race. And I think it's important to see that essentially Townsend's saying we need a whole new cinema. Without a whole new cinema, we are nothing but abject characters on a screen. But he also embodies that new cinema in Hollywood Shuffle. In that moment where the humor around these embodiments of stereotype that go over the top for comedic purposes, if that comedy is successful, and I'll just say if, it's a conditional. If that comedy is successful, Townsend has already started to do the work of making the very cinema he doesn't see possible in Bobby Taylor's story. So then that leaves me with the question, and this is how I leave it with the class, and how I think about this project on Spike Lee's cinema, uh, is, is taking up that question, right? If Townsend's given us these traces of what a black cinema without degradation would look like, a cinema that plays to the black gaze and tries to negotiate, but also refuses to negotiate with the white gaze, maybe we could have a cinema where Bobby Taylor could be the actor he wanted to be. Not just the actor he wanted to be, but an actor who could answer to his grandmother. And I think that is such an important part of the film. I love that part of the film. The grandmother is the conscience of the film. The grandmother is Bobby's conscience. And therefore, in some ways, his grandmother, who's like, you should work at the post office, don't play a pimp. Don't degrade us. Be a dignified, working-class person rather than a wealthy person whose whole life is based on the degradation of black people. Right? At that moment where the grandmother is positioned as the conscience of Bobby Taylor, as the conscience of, of film, and the conscience of making films about black bodies, black people, and black life, we open up the question then, how does Spike Lee's cinema answer Bobby Taylor's dilemma, answers the question of Hollywood shuffle? How is Spike Lee's cinema in that way really done and undertaken in the wake of Robert Townsend's film.